Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. If you are just tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project is a podcast about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to introduce to you today's guest. Her name is Amaris Roy, and this is a long-awaited on my part interview that I'm so excited to have been able to have and so excited to be able to share. Amaris was a therapist at the treatment center for eating disorders that I was at earlier this year. She is so wise and kind, and I instantly felt so safe and so just able to trust when I met her during my time there. I met her really quickly. She actually led one of the first groups that I was at. I believe it was on gender and sexuality. Very, very good group, and it made me really excited to be there, which is hard to get someone to feel when they first get to an eating disorder treatment center. Amaris was so generous to come on to the Unity Project podcast to share her story on her experience and journey with her own eating disorder, her experience with the Christian church, what that has done in reference to her relationship with her body, and her experience as a therapist, because I am so just blown away by her ability to connect the dots and to ask the big questions and to create a place of safety. So anyway, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. If you guys are enjoying listening to the Unity Project podcast and you want to support me as a podcaster, a writer, any of the things, if you want to become a part of the Unity Project podcast, then go to patreon.com slash JackieGTV. That is where you can support me for as little as $1 a month. That will help me make this podcast everything that I dream for it to be and write the books that I dream to write. And all the things, you guys, if you want to support me, go ahead and do that. Or if you want to read my story and find out how I got from there to here and any and all the things you can read my book finding home you can pick up a copy of that at my website www.jackiegronland.com or if you want to support me but you cannot afford to financially then leaving a review for this podcast is incredibly helpful anywhere that you listen to podcasts just go down there you don't have to say much just however you feel about it let me know that helps a lot more than I think a lot of people realize so yeah, enjoy. Amaris, how are you doing down there in Alabama? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm excited <laughs> to be talking to you. Yes, I'm excited to be talking to you too. I'm super, super stoked. For those who don't know, Amaris was a therapist at the treatment center that I was at earlier this year, which I've talked about a handful of times, but I was there for an eating disorder for about four months, and Amaris was the most cool, cool therapist there. Definitely definitely made me feel really comfortable and I was just joking with her earlier that her first group was that I was at was called it was gen that one was gender or no faith and sexuality right I think it was uh sexuality gender and identity yeah oh yeah we just turned it into a faith mm-hmm. thing it's hard to keep those <laughs> separate but when she started talking about that I instantly felt super comfortable and was like okay I'm excited let's do this treatment thing I can talk about things I'm very interested in but yeah so Amherst I'm so happy that you're on this podcast thank you so so much I'm excited to hear your story 
Yeah, I'm excited too. So thank you for having me. I've, I've been, yeah, I've been really looking forward to it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Amos, the first question that I generally start out asking is to describe the relationship that you have with your body and to talk about a time that you were probably the most disconnected from your body that you can remember. Okay. Yeah. I, it's funny because I knew you were going to ask this, so I've been thinking about it, or at least the, the part about um, describing my relationship with my body. And the first thing that came to my mind was just really how it's evolved. Um, the rela- my relationship with my body has over time. I think, um, if I'm honest, currently I have some grief associated uh, with the past and like the years that I feel like I didn't appreciate or really mm. understand my body. Um, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I think, uh, yeah, I just used to feel that my body was very separate from me. Um, like mm. something I needed to, I don't know, control or tame. Um, not like, you know, not let my body get too crazy or something like that. Um, yeah. But today, I, I don't know. I feel much more, I'm trying to think of a word tender towards my body mm-hmm. I don't see my body as like an object uh, that's separate from me but more as a part of me um I definitely I mean, I'm human I definitely still struggle with compassion uh towards my body but it's also I would say I'm much more compassionate than I've ever been um in my life and especially in the from the past um and I have much more respect and really feel like an honoring uh, towards my body and the story that it holds. So mm, That's yeah. very, very cool. Actually, how you talked about um, feeling like in the past you were, you felt separate from your body. That's something I've been thinking about a lot because I'm doing, I know you, you do EMDR stuff with clients, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm doing that with my therapist back home now. And one of the biggest things that I kept feeling and it's so crazy how like realistic that or not realistic realistic but like more so just like how vivid the memories are because it's almost like I like felt separate and it felt so different than I was currently and it was it's so interesting to like know how different that feels from then to now so that whole separate piece is really big to me right now um yes yes I love that you're you having the opportunity to do EMDR I think it's it can not for everyone, but it can be life changing. Yeah, that connectedness. Yeah, for sure. What? So, well, I have so many questions I want to ask you right now. I was about <laughs> to be like, "Did you DMDR as a client?" But <laughs> before we get into that, um, what? When is a time you feel like you were at yeah. the most disconnected from yourself? Hmm. I. My brain does not go back to, like, one specific time. I think I I just go back to almost, like, early in my life, really. Um, I think I lived, well, from early in my life, probably very, very young, like, five, six, seven, eight, um, all the way up till even, like, mid-20s. I think I was pretty disconnected and still at times and disconnected. I mean, because I think that ebbs and flows, um, mm-hmm. but really live disconnected um, from my body. I think from a really early age, um, like I said, I think I was in some ways taught um, that my, 
like, yeah, my body was separate or that it was something like, like I said, like kind of like an object. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, something that I needed to kind of get in line. I think that came from lots of things. Like, I know we've talked a little bit about like purity culture and even like diet culture, like don't eat too much or make, you know, make sure you're exercising enough or whatever it may be. Um, and then also from early on, I experienced some sexual abuse. And so I think in that way to, out of protection, there was a disconnect and dissociation, um, Mm. from the body. So yeah, I would say from like all different areas in some ways, I think I was just set up to be disconnected (laughs) from my body. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. The way you talked about it as like protection, that also is a very, very big thing that I talk about a lot, which I think is a really helpful way to look at any of the forms of disconnection, like um, like an eating disorder, honestly, is like right. it feels like it's how you're protecting yourself or. Yeah. yeah what, what did that look like for you? Like what, I guess, uh, like different like strategies did to protect. you use? Yeah, to protect yourself. Like how did you disconnect? Sure. Fair. Yeah. So I, similar to what you're saying, like I developed an eating disorder um, at a really early age. I think, um, I know we were talking a little bit before recording. I don't know the exact age you would, <laughs> you would have said like, oh, you definitely had an eating this disorder then at this at time. 4 p.m. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, I think I, at least diagnosable by around 10, but really even before then, um, I think I had told you like even at age eight, um, cause I looked it up. Cause I remember, uh, my mom told me years later that my third grade teacher, um, told her that she thought I had an eating disorder. And so I know that um, from a really early age, I learned to, I couldn't have put the words to it at the time. I definitely did not have the language for it, uh, but I learned Mm -hmm. to disconnect from my body um, through my relationship really with food. Um, I think I learned to disconnect from my story, from the pain um, through restricting food early on. That was how, I mean, that's how the eating disorder started. It, it kind of uh, changed, you know, went through different phases over time, but definitely started with a restriction um, of food intake and later um, shifted some to include like binging and purging and all mm-hmm. of that. And then separate from the eating disorder, I think I really learn to um, truly dissociate like through the mind, you know, from the body of just, um, I did a lot of daydreaming (laughs) as a kid um, (laughs) and just like kind of a disconnect from reality. um, And I loved, I loved sports um, as a kid. And I also think, which in some ways that could be help connection, to the body but I think for me it was actually somewhat of a disconnected game and, and I think it was positive at that time like it was actually adaptive in some ways but it gave me a focus um outside of like the pain and it allowed me to disconnect from my my reality in some yeah. ways yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense it's interesting you say at age 10 because mine started at age 10 as well and I know reading uh I know you know we guess you do you know Glennon Doyle yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I will yes. not know her, but I know who <laughs> well, she like, is. Who she, yes, <laughs> yeah. She's the dream. Um, <laughs> you're just like secretly BFFs. I would be right. super stoked. No. <laughs> um, but so she talks about in her Love Warrior book how hers started at age 10 as well. And I feel mm-hmm. like I hear that often. Do you have any like thoughts on why that's around the age? Because like I remember at 10, I wasn't really thinking about like, body image I don't really know what happened I don't have a great memory of it but I I don't think it was like a body image thing I I wonder like what was that like for you and why why do you think that's like such a common time for young girls to I guess like enter into that world yeah I I'm not sure exactly if I'm just honest with you but I think for me I think there was some body image piece in it. I don't think, and I I don't think body like it's a surface as that sounds in some ways. Like I don't I think my view of my body wasn't based solely in what obviously what my body looked like, but more about my connection and like the pain and the story that I felt like my body held. Again, did not have the language for it at age ten. Um, but hold on, I'm about to cough. <coughs> um, oh no, I do. Hold on, let me get a water. Okay. There we go. I do think, uh, for me, around that age, I mean, I started to develop, I guess. I don't I think a lot of people start around that age, or I think I was pretty early in my mind, at least I was, with developing. Um, and I think that was terrifying for me on lots of different levels. I think some of that was because of, um, uh, in my story, I grew up in a pretty like conservative and religious household and town and like church community. And so I viewed like, honestly, I viewed my body as bad um, Mm -hmm. or something to cover up and hide and uh, be ashamed of. And no one, I guess I want to say no one, I don't think that was anyone's intention, you know, um, but that was the message um, pretty clearly and directly of um, just shame and so in a lot of ways, I mean, I remember trying very much of like not wanting to take up space, you know, in the world or to like actual physical space, like wanting to shrink um, mm-hmm. and not wanting to have like breast or, and I don't know if at 10 I was developing breast, maybe, I don't know, but, yeah. but kind of anything around taking up like physical space or drawing attention to myself felt wrong and bad and sinful in some ways um and then also just scary I don't know if that makes sense yeah yeah I get that why do you think or like what messages from the very conservative I guess church culture made you believe that or brought you to believe that your body was bad yeah I think about that a lot um and I don't I don't know that there's like what like soup well, I guess there are some specific ones I think as a whole a lot of the teaching and I want to say I was this really sensitive kid so I think that other people could have I imagine there's people in the world that hear these same messages and don't take them the way I take took them um as a kid but I also think there's lots of people that do take it the way I took them um but messages around um you know like kind of like your desires being sinful in a way or like fleshly desires I think about like the terminology you know Mm -hmm. in in that world and this idea of even like 
if we're talking about like food and the eating disorder piece of this, I mean, the idea that like, if you overeat, you have sinned, you know, there, and no one ever said, if you undereat, you have sinned until later when I had an eating disorder. And then that was sin. But, oh God, but before really? that, yeah, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. So it was really confusing. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but definitely this idea of if you crave, if your body desires, anything whatever it is then like that's your flesh and you need to shut that down um and to be holy and to um like follow God and that was my heart I so desperately wanted to follow God um and so desperately wanted to love God and be loved by God and so I think I really got into this place of like how do I um it's like it's kind of like almost like tame or control myself so that I can make myself worthy. Um, mm-hmm. Again, no one directly said, it's not like these people, you know, we're sitting around saying develop an eating disorder and you'll be loved by God. Like that was yeah. not the, the direct message. But I think in my really young mind, it was, oh my gosh, my body's bad. I need to make sure that I control how much I eat and like, what I do, like what I say, I was really afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing even. Um, just this idea of like, you can't even be silly. I think I just took everything to an extreme place, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I definitely have been in many conversations, especially over the past few years with people who grew up in very conservative church church culture who took very, very similar, if not the same messages from that. And I know I personally did as well. So that I think is uh, very, very validating to hear for me and also just like (laughs) validated in general because it's like they didn't really have to directly say your body is bad, but then there's like verses in the Bible of like, if your arm causes you to sin, (laughs) cut it off. Right. (laughs) Okay. What is that supposed to mean? And it's interesting because even so, even more so lately, I've also learned like, I know that's going to get into a whole rabbit trail of (laughs) discussions about the Bible, but I, I won't even get into that, but I was going to get into like, it's more historical and poetic and all those things, but that's a whole other conversation. Oh, I Um, love that conversation though, but I I agree. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like the way that's interpreted now, so literally, so as if it was written for like 2020 women in America, like it just, that doesn't make any sense. And taking it literally is so dangerous because it goes so far as to say like your body is bad and your body causes you to sin and like everything you're saying about like your desires being bad. Oh my gosh, I grew up hearing that all the time. And all I could think about was like, oh, I want that. That means it's probably not good for me. What does Jesus want for me? Exactly. It's kind of like that, like denying of self, um, which I I honestly just took it to the extreme where then if I felt like if I didn't deny self, then I deserved punishment, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and that was just a really destructive place to live for lots of years. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like you kind of saw your eating disorder as punishment for yourself or was it more subconscious? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think at times, um, I think that was definitely a function of my eating disorder was punishment. Um, I, I do think there was times where it was also comfort, um, 
but those might be more later on, (laughs) but, um, but early on, I think, uh, punishment and really protection. Again, I, I wouldn't, I think at the time I would have said it was more punishment than protection. I don't think I had the understanding that it was protective, um, at that time, but, but yes, I've definitely lived, um, honestly, I hated my body, um, which it feels, it feels sad, um, to say that now in a lot of ways, because I'm just that, I feel so distant from that, which I feel really grateful for, but I, I really did. I had a very strong hate towards my body, body, but really it was a strong hate towards the pain and the story that I was carrying. Um, and, and so in that way, I do think I very much thought that I needed to punish my body and, and, um, in that, yeah, that just created, years and years of destruction, um, and really heartache for me and, and those around me too. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you think like, uh, what you're saying kind of like, or I guess what I'm hearing from what you're saying is kind of your body represented your pain and your heartache and the mm-hmm. stories and the things that had happened to you. Is that kind yeah. of what you mean? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it, I viewed, yeah, I, I kind of put everything on my body um, at the time. And again, I wouldn't have, as a 10 or 15 or even 20-year-old, I wouldn't have said, oh, I am putting all my pain on my body. Um, yeah. But looking back, I viewed everything that happened in my life. So whether it was like the sexual abuse, whether it was the messages from diet culture, or that if I felt like I wasn't accepted, um, you know, by peers or family or any of that. I think I, I really blamed my body for a lot of it. Of Oh, well, if I had just looked differently or been a different size or controlled my body better or not taken up so much space or, um, not, I, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense, but I think like, as far as when I think about it now with the, how I feel towards my body, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, Oh no, I just had the sadness of like, Oh, I just missed it. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, I wish someone, I wish I had known what I know now, but obviously you, we can't <laughs> all yeah. at the time. Um, but, but yes, I think I definitely blamed my body uh, for everything that happened and all the pain. And so therefore it became, and I, well, to be really honest with you, I blamed myself. And so I, because I blamed myself, my body was kind of the representation of that, I think. And so I took Mm -hmm. it out on myself, whether that was like directly through the eating disorder, through self-harm, um, through like suicide, like those type of things, you know, just any type of destruction. I, I thought I deserved. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you know all the schemas we talked about in treatment? Yes, yes. Do you know what years would be? Uh, at that point, I feel like might have shifted over time. I don't know if they can do that, but it seems like they have. <laughs> they do whatever you want them to do. <laughs> sure. Um, I probably like the unlovability or shame um, ones I have to look it up to remember the exact name of it but there is the one that isn't it unlovability and shame I think those go together but I think probably that would would have have been I know right (laughs) I have to do some googling real quick you're catching me off guard Um, (laughs) oh no right um but I I really think the way I viewed everything was through this lens of I'm unlovable and I'm bad like shame ran my life at that point 
Wow, that's something... I feel like I keep saying that's something I talk about a lot with my therapist, but it, it is, and it's so interesting because whenever I bring that up, she is always like, oh, I hear that a lot from like the narrative of like, I am bad and carrying the shame and stuff. She's like, I hear that so much when people have uh, spiritual trauma or any kind of baggage from the church. And it makes so much, (laughs) it makes so much sense because it's like, it teaches you that you're bad. So how are you supposed to have a positive relationship with yourself when that's like indoctrinated in you as, I guess, just like uh, how to survive and how to be a good person. well how to like be accepted by god and jesus or be a good christian but like what that means is like your eternal life afterwards like it's so it's so deep it's so deep that these messages of like you are bad and you should feel shame and like jesus had to literally be murdered for you because you were so bad like what is that going to teach a kid exactly yes i so relate to that i think that's uh, i've spent years thinking thinking that of like what like I'm so almost this idea of like I'm so lowly you know like what yeah. like and I don't know I think I think that was so hurtful um and yeah. I think largely because I was so sensitive anyway that it wasn't it was just like because there was already this so much shame that it just like intensified it in a lot of ways. And so it almost became a, Oh my gosh, regardless of anything, like I'm always going to be bad and trying to, and need to live in this place of um, gratitude that, you know, that I even get to live life or something, you know, like, I don't know. And when really, I don't think I don't see it the same way anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like we were, like, praised for hating ourselves in a way. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, which is so, it makes me so sad now. Yeah. Do you think the shame in kind of thinking you were bad existed in you before, or, like, how old were you when you got involved in the church, I guess is the question. Oh, I I grew up in the church. Um, I don't remember a time I wasn't in the church. So, oh, wow. as a chi- <laughs> yeah, as a child, I, I mean, we were kind of the family... Um, and I'm great. I guess I want to say this too. There, there's parts of that that I'm grateful for. It's not that it was all a disaster. I know we're kind of talking about the things that weren't helpful or useful, um, yeah. <laughs> but I do want to say that. But, but as early as I can remember, I mean, we were the family that went, you know, what Saturday or not Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, my whole, I mean, life, um, really until I, you know, left home. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to ask if you felt like this stuff was really present in your life before that, but I guess it might be hard to remember it before that. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just all, um, it just all went together for me. It's hard to separate it out because it was such a part of my, like every moment of my life. And I, it's something I've kind of learned recently or, or been thinking about more recently, um, is this idea of like, I think I was so afraid as a child, I had so much anxiety. Um, and lots of, you know, lots of people eating disorders have high anxiety. And yes. <laughs> I, um, a lot of my anxiety, especially as a child was centered around, you know, hell or what do I need to do to be good? Um, and make sure that I am like, um, and I, I even when I, when I talk about this, I don't, I don't know who your like listeners <laughs> typically are because I'm like, I feel like this sounds 
so out there unless you grew up in this world. Um, Because I have friends that are like, I I do not understand what you're saying right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all very, very relevant to my circle on the internet. Don't worry. (laughs) Good, good. Uh, but, But definitely grew up with this anxiety of... Um, I mean, I thought I had to like pray not like a certain number of times, but I was very much someone that prayed, you know, the sinner's prayer as a child, like over and over and over just Mm -hmm. out of my, a place of anxiety, um, and just so desperately wanting to be loved and, honestly saved and like rescued, which is a lot of the, I think that idea of rescuing is very common in those circles. And so I was so desperate to be rescued and to feel, um, yeah, to be like rescued from my pain and have a new life. Like a lot of those type of like the the verbiage, you know, that's in that circle, I think really, really hit home for me or felt it it seemed like there was a lot of hope in that. And I don't mean there's not, I don't want to, you know, I I think I've kind of changed some of my views now. But at the time, it was very much like, I think it was out of my desperation. And I just so desperately wanted to be good, but grew up with the messages that like, you're bad, and you can't ever be good, um, which Mm. was damaging to me. Yeah, super damaging. I guess from from my experience with that, uh, something I've been talking about a, a lot lately has been like how I found, I guess, in a sense, like power in my eating disorder in a way that was helpful because I felt like everything else was like taking power away from me Mm. and like different sexual abuse experiences or even Mm -hmm. like times in the church and whatnot. And so it kind of like gave me this own little private world that was just mine that I knew I was (laughs) good at and I knew it could control and no one's going to know. And it's like my own thing that I know will make me okay. Did you feel like that at all in all that? Totally. Honestly, I think I'd forgotten about that till you just said it. <laughs> but, but yes, I I remember. I think that came a little bit later, or at least where I recognized it clearly was probably in like my teenage years. Um, I was very much. And that's probably the age too, but very very much wanted it to be my own thing. I felt like, like you said, like no one could take it. From me, it, there was a safety, a, like a felt sense of safety in that um, for me. And I I think I use, can we curse on this podcast? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think I used my eating disorder as a fuck you um, a lot in my, uh, like, you know, teen years, I would say. Mm. Just almost this, like, as a rebellion. I think, it, and I'm kind of processing this out loud right now, but I think as a younger <laughs> younger child, it was very much like, how do I become good? And how do I harm, you know, punish myself when I'm not good enough? But then in my adolescence, or like later adolescence, really early adulthood, I think it became much more of a, like, fuck you and like rebellion um, against all, all of that in some yeah. ways. That makes sense. When do you think, like, are you saying, like, a rebellion, like, against, uh, like, the church or just rebellion in general? Or what kind of rebellion are you talking about? Probably all of it. I think, I don't think I was (laughs) bold enough to say, like, through my words, like, I will rebel against the church now. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. But definitely an action, for sure. Um, And then Mm. also, I think it was a way to express anger 
um, towards the pain, you know, like the past abuse or also um, a lot of the messages of that I had received growing up, you know, around like, like diet culture messages around the body and food. I think it was just kind of ironic to say that the eating disorder became a way to rebel against that because it actually doesn't rebel against diet culture at all. It aligns yeah. with it. But I think in my mind, it was this way to express the anger. Um, I felt, um, and almost rage, which in a way that, um, felt more, doable for me because I never was someone that was going to like scream and yell at least you know my words um it was much more it was like this very quiet but very loud and destructive rebellion that makes sense so kind of like your eating disorder was your way to be angry in a sense yes yes okay that makes that makes a lot of sense was it um so you said this kind of started in like your teen years the rebellion part Yes. Uh, probably. Yeah. If I had to, yes, I think so. I think that's when I felt that's, that's when I felt more connected to the anger, I would say. Okay. I got Mm -hmm. you. So did something specific happen that kind of tipped you over the edge to like feel that, or was it kind of just everything built up to make you kind of realize and experience the anger more? Yeah, I think... I imagine it was more of a buildup. I do think it was just, again, I think in adolescence, that's more, it kind of comes with like (laughs) the development of an adolescent as well. And honestly, I was in and out of treatment. And I think going away to treatment gave me, this is going to sound maybe silly, maybe not, but because I was away from home and it was like, I felt in some ways, um, I don't know. I think sometimes as an adolescent and young adult in treatment, I gave myself permission to rage, which I typically didn't do in my day-to-day life. Um, Mm. And so I think I felt more connected to the anger um, at that time because I I could be angry that I was in treatment and felt like I was being controlled or told to get better and like those type of things. But really it was just that I was very, very hurt and very angry and didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. That makes sense. It kind of like gave you permission to, I guess, explore that feeling. It sounds like. Yeah. I think in a weird way, and I I couldn't have said this at the time, but I think in treatment, I felt safe enough to get angry. Okay. That's a very, very big deal. What, when did you go to, I don't think, I don't think I knew you went to treatment. When did you um, go to treatment and what what kind of was that process what did that look like sure. uh I I went to treatment quite a few times so if I so I don't it wasn't like one particular time but for me I had some uh, treatment experiences in adolescence uh and those were and I'm grateful for all my treatment experiences because I think they quite bluntly kept me alive so that I could keep doing the work. Uh, it's not as a, you know, as a 15 to 20 year old, I was not trying to get better. That was not in, in my thought process, but mm-hmm. I definitely think I needed a foundation and it did offer a foundation at times and it kept me alive to have the opportunity to do some real deep work later on. Um, and so it really, my treatment experiences, were uh, 
pretty, <laughs> the word that comes to my mind is volatile. Nothing like major happened. It was more that I just felt angry. It's, I think people externally wouldn't say they were super volatile, but like internally I felt very like angry and felt like I was missing out on things like, you know, high school or just kind of like the typical life development. Um, yeah. Or life experiences during that time. Uh, but it was a lot of time spent in treatment and most of that was you know encouraged by different like mental health professionals at the time uh, things like that Um, but it wasn't until probably and I get kind of bad with time frames but I think mid-20s that I started I went, went to treatment some more and got really serious and felt understood uh maybe like early to mid twenties, um, felt understood for the first time in my life, like truly deeply understood. And I allowed myself to be vulnerable and really started doing much different work than I had ever really been able to do before and actually started to consider a different life. So, wow, that's, that's really special. Do you know what it was about that time that you felt so understood? Mm -hmm. Or was it just like that part of your journey where you feel like you were ready? I I think it was both. I think it was that I felt more ready. Uh, And and I will say it wasn't like I woke up one day and was like, oh, I'm ready now. And then it was just (laughs) really beautiful. It was not, it was still a hot mess for a while. Um, (laughs) But, but I do think it was some of that, Um, you know, I think what, what is the age? I should know this with the brain develop fully develops like 26 or 20. Yeah. Like right around there, which there is. I just got my brain. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) There's, and I'm going to misquote research, but I know there's some research out there that shows that in those years uh, where the brain is fully developed, there's a spike or this increase in um, people that recover from eating disorders that if they've had it for a while. Again, I'm, I don't know where this research is. I've heard of it before. I, mean, I can probably <laughs> look it up and, and get it to you. But it, and I think, I, so there's a part of me that actually just thinks I was in that place where my brain could hold on to things a little bit differently than it ever could before. So there's that part of it. But also it was the first time in my life that I felt, like I said, understood. I felt like the people that were helping me, uh, like the professional, you know, health care, you know, mental health professionals in my life at the time really cared and really didn't judge me. And I had felt very judged and very misunderstood, uh, for most of my life. And so that was pretty life-changing for me that I felt like they weren't afraid of my pain. And prior to that, and I I take responsibility. I acted in ways (laughs) that, uh, people were afraid of, you know, in some ways, or that my pain was big or the ways I was self-destructing was scary. Um, and so I think it really pushed people away because that's what that, when you're really deep in an eating disorder, that's what happens. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it was the first time that I felt like people saw a little bit past uh, my actions. And also that it was the first time that I was able to create some context, which led to some compassion for myself too, where it wasn't just, Oh, I just do these things and Oh, I'm just destructive and can't get better, but more of, okay, let's really talk about why I'm doing them and and 
what's happening underneath all of this. And I think it was the first time I saw myself in a really human way. Wow. That I found to be like an exceptionally important component of of healing. I feel like I don't know, a main a main thing that I think honestly I've probably heard you talk about this in treatment. I know somebody talked about it a lot. Um but like kind of the ability to be there's your puppy. Yeah, my puppy. <laughs> um, the ability to look at your story with compassion rather than judgment and kind of like I, I guess it's like it's talked about in a way of like kind of writing to like your inner self or I know yes. we did those like letters <laughs> writing to our bodies and back and forth and that kind of like showed us how we really felt about ourselves and stuff and mm-hmm. it's so it's so huge how important that is to like because once you feel like compassionate towards your story at least from my experience it sounds like from your experience um healing feels inevitable almost because then you're finally able to like fully process trauma or fully Mm -hmm. process like what has happened and fully like just get really 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 honest instead of like hiding things I kind of feel that way sometimes when I journal with being able to just write down exactly how I feel and I know no one's like judging it on the other side reading so it like it ends up being super healing because I could you just get it all out and take care of yourself in it yeah do you yeah. remember talking about that in treatment or am I thinking of somebody else? <laughs> no, no, no. I think I've, I, yes, definitely. I feel like I've done a lot of groups or work around that and you know, largely because that's what's, I think, changed my life um, in a lot of ways. So I feel really passionate about the, I think it starts with curiosity, right? And then kind of leads to more compassion. I think there has to be some context within our stories before we can really access the compassion we have to understand. Um, and I think that's what happened for me around that, you know, mid twenties and on was I started really thinking it's almost like I didn't view myself and my past self is that rebellious. If that still pops in, I don't want to say it's perfect, you know, but, but I, I didn't view myself as just this rebellious teenager anymore as much, at least. Um, it was more of, oh my gosh, I was doing the best I could with what I had. And really the links I went to, to try to protect myself, like I was pretty damn resilient. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it was destructive at times, but it was resilient and it it got me through. And so there became more of this like overall awareness. And I don't know, in some ways, I think I started to, consider the idea of, of having my own back and not judging myself as harshly anymore. Oh, that's awesome. It's kind of like you're like allying yourself. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is that. so huge. Cause that's yeah. super hard to do. It is. It oh is. And it's gosh. an everyday thing. I mean, there's, you know, I can feel like I can talk about it from a much more, I don't know, healed in some ways, like place around these topics, but there's other topics so that I don't, so, or that I'm still on that journey with. So I think we're all, I don't, I guess the last thing I want to do is, is say, oh yes. And now there's compassion and it's done. You know, I think uh-huh. we're all on this journey of how to continue to access compassion um, for the areas and parts of ourselves that we uh, have judged previously. Or have been taught to judge. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Do you, 
So when you were 25, that's when this happened, you're saying? Yeah. Or when it kind of started? I think that's when it maybe started. Um, yeah, right around there. Yeah. Okay. Was that the last time you were in treatment or did it continue more after that? I think so. I can't remember exactly. I'm trying to think how long ago. It, it might have been a few more years, like around there. Uh, 20, I'm so bad with time frames. <laughs> like, maybe like 26, 27. But that was definitely when things started to shift and my life didn't re- start like revolving around treatment anymore. It became much more, um, it's kind of that thing of, I I don't think I ever woke up one day and was like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to like recovered here it is. But like, it's kind of became this thing. I mean, I do consider myself recovered and have a very different relationship with food and body and all of that now. And and don't really worry about, you know, going back to the eating disorder or anything like that. But I don't know. It's not like, at the age of 26 or, you know, 27.5, I woke up yeah. and was like, all right, I'm done with all of that. I think it was a slower process of uh, really accessing that compassion and, and day by day starting to shift my relationship with food and allowing myself to have permission to to eat uh, what I wanted or to mess up at times, whatever that meant. Meaning like if I, you know, if it wasn't like one slip had to be uh, this whole spiral type of thing. Um, it mm-hmm. didn't mean that I, I was going back to an eating disorder. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful even really for me right now. Cause it's so easy to go into the, like the black and white thinking of, Oh, I messed up. That means I'm a failure and I'm not in recovery anymore. And it's like, it's just not that simple. So that's very cool. What, what, so what would you say, how do you say you would describe your relationship with your body at that point in time? Like post-treatment, yeah. you're learning how to, I guess, like be inside of your body again. Yeah, I, I think right after I was finishing up the last kind of time in treatment, I remember the, the story comes to mind. I remember being at, going on a beach trip um, and I was doing, it was very, very early recovery outside of treatment, you know, but it was kind of that thing of where I knew it was different and I was actually doing well or much better than I ever had before. Right. And I remember going on a beach trip uh, with some friends and, you know, they were stopping at, uh, this is, I don't know why I remember the exact food, but this is the way this works. Like I remember that we stopped and got like biscuits, uh, like chicken biscuits on the way there. And just was very like, it was, I remember that trip because it was, freer than I had been, um, ever in a vacation before, you know, or any type of trip like that, where I was just, we were stopping and getting food and doing a thing. And I felt overall okay about it. It's not that I had zero thoughts about it at that time. Um, but I felt it was a very different, I felt proud in some ways, but I also, I guess I, I do remember, and I feel like this is important is because it wasn't perfect. I remember, getting to the beach and having a day or two of intense discomfort in my body. Um, It didn't mean I did anything different. It didn't mean I changed what I ate, you know, or that I didn't go out to the beach with my friends or that I didn't go places and do all the things we were going to do. But I remember actually talking with my therapist at the time about it um, because I was panicking because I felt distressed. Um, and felt a distress that I really hadn't felt maybe 
in the past, you know, few weeks or whatever it was. And there's lots of reasons. I think at times we feel distress in our bodies or with our bodies. Um, and so I guess I say that to say my relationship with my body was changing and it was, and I, I actually feel hmm, grateful for experiences like that because it's, I guess what I learned throughout it was that it was okay to not feel wonderful in my body and to keep living. Like I was making new memories regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time that it was really like that where it didn't dictate um, how I viewed myself completely. And so, and then over time, I think it kept changing. You know, I don't, I actually don't, I don't have days at all where I'm like that level of distress and I haven't in years. I don't, I feel disconnected from that, um, in some ways, but I, but I also think it's important to normalize that some days it's really just about, it's about tolerating our bodies and tolerating our, the stories that our bodies hold and carry. Yeah, that's a really beautiful way to say that. I think it sounds to me a lot like like growing pains almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's very cool. How how did you like what did it, your journey look like from there to where you are now? Cuz I know yeah. you're a therapist at an eating disorder <laughs> treatment center. Yes. So they just flipped on the other side of it. Oh, how, what so did crazy. that look like? <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I, that it is something I <laughs> I swore I would never do Jackie so that's <laughs> that a side note on that I was like no no I know that world oh, I'm not doing funny. it um but that's hilarious. I, I yeah I I wanted to be a therapist and so I started working in substance abuse uh really kind of off the bat and um continued my recovery felt and it's so it's in it's interesting because I think in early recovery everything's about recovery but then the more in recovery you are like my world it didn't revolve around recovery it just revolved around life and so I think it's not that I was thinking about it every day or thinking about that I had had an eating disorder or where I was in a recovery process or anything like that anymore I was just really living life and creating yeah new memories like in my body and in the world um and I started working with clients when I was working at the substance abuse uh, treatment center. I started, there's a lot of, you know, crossover, a lot of clients that have um, substance use disorders and eating disorders. And so I started working with a lot of clients specifically that had eating disorders and doing some assessments and things like that for them. Uh, And really realized that I just felt so passionate (laughs) about that because I could speak the language, but didn't feel I felt connected to that work, but it wasn't in a way, but I also felt uh, removed enough where it it didn't feel like it was like kind of like sitting on my doorstep, if that makes sense, you know? And so I just felt super passionate and I decided that I wanted to do the thing that kind of scared me and step into this world, like eating disorder treatment world and to be uh, someone that specializes in eating disorders when, and that was actually a process of battling some of my own insecurities that came up around it because I was stepping into a world where I knew a lot of professionals that had helped me, you know, and a lot of professionals knew my story. Um, but that was a very, like, it was a growth process for me and I felt nothing but embraced, um, by them in my own recovery and in my own professional journey. Mm. That's very, very cool. 
I love that. I feel like that's such like a redemptive story of just, just really, really cool. Thank you. Yes. I, it's, it's cool to think back on it. I don't do this often, but I appreciate yeah. the opportunity to kind of sit and almost, you know, reflect on the journey. Yeah, absolutely. I guess like, I think it's so cool that you're a therapist. I mean, for many reasons and Side note to everyone listening, she's like the best therapist. Oh, but that's very kind. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I called, for everyone listening, I called Amherst my part-time therapist in treatment <laughs> because she wasn't my actual therapist, but I wished she was an actual therapist. So I like, would go in her office and be like, Amherst, this is what I'm crying about now. <laughs> oh my goodness, that feels like so long ago. But uh, what do you think, like... Because I think, I feel, I, I said this to someone else I interviewed, I don't remember who it was, but he was a, a therapist as well. Um, but like as a therapist, I feel you have such a, such a cool like front row seat inside of so many people's journeys and stories at such like a, I would almost say like a, like a priv- privileged place of like mm-hmm. getting inside people's heads in a really, really safe way mm-hmm. in like... I guess just the context of like relationship, I guess, but also like helping other people on their journeys of healing. But what would you say are some things or like a thing that you have learned about people that seems to be kind of consistent or something that you've really, really felt strongly about as your time um, as a therapist? I think, and I don't, in some ways I don't want to use a generalization, but I feel like this is a fairly safe one. I think in, we all, or many of us really seek to be understood and seen and known. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something that stuck with me of even when we're, any of us are engaging in behaviors or in ways of interacting with others that are off-putting or, you know, like stereotypically off-putting or, um, or widely misunderstood that if you can peel back the layers, like I feel honored that I get to sit in spaces with others where I feel like I get to see glimpses of what's underneath that and get to really understand um, the pain, you know, and really seek to, uh, to try to understand and see people for, for who they are, you know, as, as they allow me to. And I, I never take that for granted and don't, don't take it lightly at all. Yeah. That's so cool. Cause it's just like, I don't know. I mean, everyone has different opinions on like, oh, people are at the heart good or at the heart sure. this or that. But it, it just, it seems so, so cool to be able to sit in that place and hear like, beneath all the layers of who someone is, like what they really feel and what they really want. And that's just, that seems really, really special. So I'm happy that you get to do, I used to want a long time ago, I used to want to be a therapist for kind of that reason. And so it just, it seems so special. So that's just, that's very, very cool. And especially when like you've had the journey that you have that builds so much trust. Like I, I feel like, I mean, I didn't know your story when I was uh, in treatment, but I knew that I could trust you. And I think, like, I knew really, really quickly that I could trust you. And I feel like, yeah, absolutely. And I kind of feel like, this is interesting, because I was just talking to uh, my girlfriend last night, actually, 
or it was this morning. She's a night nurse, so I think it was like 5 a.m. this morning when sure. she got home. <laughs> At some point in the past 10 hours. Um, we were talking about like politics and like uh, different stuff like that. And we were talking about how like the difference of um, when a politician like says all the right things, but like for like a political reason, like this politic politician could be like talking about like what we're going to do to help racism or what we're going to do to help um, solve like mass incar incarceration or things like that. And then, there's like a different example of another politician like doing the same thing, but you feel like you can trust them more. And a lot of the time what we've found is like, like in someone, for example, like in um, AOC, like she actually mm -hmm. lived that life and mm -hmm. experienced that. So she's speaking from, from that. And it just like, but even if I didn't know that about her, I feel like I would trust her more than some like old man who comes in and tries to speak on like women's rights or something. Yeah. It just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. And not that he's wrong or he doesn't care, but it just, there's like a level of trust that you'd have when someone's like been through it. And so I think that's really special that you have that story in being a therapist. Cause one, it like gives clients hope. Like I remember when I, um, around the time when I first got there, someone told me that like most of the staff is um, recovered or in recovery or something. And for some reason I didn't, put that together I like just didn't think that was I like that for some reason surprised me I was like really and then but once I like really thought about it and they were like yeah even like Amber like the head person right, there at the time right. and then they were like listing off all these therapists and DCSs and stuff that were uh recovered or in recovery and stuff and it gave me so much hope and so like that's awesome and my therapist here also um is recovered and so mm -hmm. it just it gives a lot of hope and also it just like like you said before, like you speak that language and yeah. you understand and you have a different level of compassion and empathy than someone who hasn't experienced that is, I think, capable of having. Um, I don't know. But yeah, so I think that's really special. That's very, very special. Thank you. That means a yeah. lot. Just going to tuck that uh, away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What, um, I have a couple more questions for sure. you. Uh, my first one is... Um, what are some different, I guess, like coping skills? We all talked about like all the different coping skills and treatments <laughs> and stuff like that. But what are, what are your favorite like coping skills or strategies or whatnot to connect with yourself or to like ground yourself yeah. on a day where you feel disconnected? Sure. I, for me, I love nature. So probably my absolute favorite thing to do is to go on a hike or to take my dogs on a walk. There's something about being out in the air and that is really grounding to me. Um, so that's mm. probably my top is just there's some, and it's so it feels very like free. I don't feel, I don't know, like trapped because it's like, outdoors and there's you know space out there um and I feel very alive out there um I think another thing for me is I mentioned my dogs I love like just even like petting them or feeling them breathe is very very grounding to me like putting my hand on their chest while they're breathing I think often it, it helps ground me or bring me back into my body uh, in some ways so I think it's different things for different people but um for me the connection with nature and animals and really other humans too is probably mm. some of the most grounding times 
Yeah, that's awesome. Can I ask really quick, what kind of dogs do you have? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so their names are Benson and Lily. And Benson is, they're both rescues. So Benson's like a little black schnauzer mix. Kind of, he looks, he's not a Scotty, but he kind of looks Scotty-esque. Um, and then <laughs> Lily is a pit mix. So. Oh, we have a pit mix too. They're the best. Oh, yeah, she is the most cuddly pup ever. So. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, we have uh, Leo. He is mostly pit bull, but I think he's mixed with some other stuff. And then Piper, oh. she's a mix of like boxer, husky, German shepherd, all the like oh, neurotic dogs. Yes. <laughs> she's super pretty, but she has the most anxiety I've ever seen in <laughs> animal or person. I'm like, oh my oh. gosh, Piper, oh. I feel for you. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, no, dogs are the best. That's a that's a big way that I feel like I um, am able to kind of ground myself too and stuff. So I love that. Um, okay, my my last question for you is a different. It's a change of pace from the others. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, would you rather? Now, normally I think of these on the spot, but I had I have prepared myself today because I was so excited to do this interview that I thought of my question early. Let's see if I remember it. Um, <laughs> would, you, would you rather have a full-time job at a nail salon for hedgehogs, but all the hedgehogs... But by the way, for those listening, Amaris loves hedgehogs. I like, do. Loves them. I do. She does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but would you rather be a full-time employee of a nail salon for hedgehogs, but all the hedgehogs that come in to get their nails done are like super sassy? It's like rare that a nice one comes in. They're all very petty and they're very all prickly. like, yes, very, very prickly, very, very prickly. But you get to just like hang out with hedgehogs all day and you make a good living off of it, but they're not very nice to you. Or, or would you rather every single time you sneezed, you got to turn someone of your choice into a hedgehog for about 10 minutes? All safety precautions are taken, like, whoever you pick will be okay, like, if they're driving or something, like, all they're all okay, but they will turn into a hedgehog. That is so funny. <laughs> I, <laughs> there's part of me that wants to go with the second one, but I'm, like, analyzing it, and I'm like, does that mean I want power over people? Like, what does oh, that no. mean about me? <laughs> the psychology behind right. this question, I'm like, oh, no. Um, and so, I don't Okay, but honestly, I, part of me also really would love to work at a nail salon with prickly hedgehogs because I love <laughs> prickly hedgehogs. Like, I love <laughs> that challenge. Like, I love that, that yeah, trying to, to connect with the pricklies. <laughs> I love that. You'd be a perfect one. You're going to win them over. You're going to get to the bottom of why they're petty and sassy. You're right. going to figure them out. Okay. Perfect answer. I love that. I will keep an eye out on job openings All in right. that department and send them your way if you're I ever interested. It. Yes, absolutely. Well, Amaris, you are so lovely. Thank you so, so much for being on this podcast. I am so grateful to be able to hear your story, like I said before, and get to not just hear it, but also like share it with other people now on the interwebs because it's super powerful. And I learned a lot from you earlier this year. So thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for you and this podcast. I think you're doing great things. So, so thank you. 
Amaris, you are a therapist in Birmingham right now. If there's anyone in that area that is looking for a very, very cool hedgehog-loving therapist, <laughs> how how they can get a hold of you through your Psychology Today website? Yes, yes. That's right now. That is the best way. So, and that has all my contact information for my email uh, for my private practice, and it has my uh, phone number for my private practice. So, yes. Okay. Awesome. I will put that. Uh, information in the notes description box. I forget what you call it with a podcast, but that will be below. So go check that out. I highly recommend it because I want her to be my therapist, therapist, but she couldn't be, so maybe she could be yours. Anyway, <laughs> Amaris, thank you again. I hope you are doing so well down there and staying safe and spending lots of time outside with your puppies. All right. Thank you again. I had so much fun. Yes. I'll talk to you later. Bye.